Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This market threw us a bit of a curveball today. I'm not talking about the uninspiring action. Dow dipping 23 points. That's beginning 0.12%. NASDAQ advancing 0.54%. The real surprise was the pathetic action in the slowdown stocks. We got powerful evidence that the global economy is deteriorating. And what happens? The recession stocks, the soft good names that should be rallying, they rolled over. Let me walk you through this one. Last night, we got some devastating news from an outfit you may not have heard of. It's called BASF. It's a sprawling German enterprise from Ludwigshaven that's the largest chemical company on Earth. BASF makes all sorts of materials for semiconductors, cars, pesticides, consumer products. Hey, these guys are practically everything. So it was a very, very big deal when this gigantic company said they might need to slash their full-year earnings forecast by 30%. Ouch! What did BASF cite as the reason for its grim outlook? Well, they blame weak car sales and weak crop sales in our trade war with China. It was a trifecta of wealth. It's also a powerful reminder that the trade conflict hurts more than just American and Chinese companies. The damage spilling all over the rest of the world. So now we've got real concern, real reason to be worried. While the Federal Reserve believes business is strong because we just got the terrific labor report last Friday, something that Fed Chief Powell might opine upon when he's on the Hill tomorrow, the weak forecast from chemical giant BASF suggests that the global economy might be in rougher shape than that employment number might indicate. And the cause of the weakness isn't going to go away anytime soon because the trade war, it's ongoing. Now, I suppose... Maybe some people want to call it a ceasefire. I was with somebody who called it detente. But I worry about how long that can last. Why? Simple. Even though President Trump extended an olive branch by rolling back some of the sanctions on that Huawei, that alpha that he thinks is a rogue telco company, I don't see anything from China to indicate that they're reciprocating. Where are the big orders of soybeans, corn, whatever? Uh, Hey, where are the merger approvals, like the one that Cisco will eventually need to close on its $2.6 billion acquisition of Acacia Communications that it made just this morning? We have no idea if the Chinese regulators will let this deal happen, even though there's no reason for them to block it except as a chit in the trade war. Now, why does this matter? Because without any real movement from China, the trade ceasefire could prove to be ephemeral. I know we just restarted the official trade talks and the White House made some positive noises today, but it seems like neither side is actually willing to budge much. And I always think we're one tweet away from a big sell up. So can anyone offset anything, offset this tariff inspired weakness? Sure. There's always something else. 
When the industrials slow down, something else picks up the slack. That's the way the stock market works. That's how we could have a mixed day today, even though one of the largest companies on Earth reported an astounding shortfall. Now, I don't care why the slowdown slowdown is occurring. it, It is not really the let's put it this way. The derivation doesn't intrigue me as much as all these other commentators are here. But think about it. Money managers and companies, they come on all the time, right, arguing about whether it's the Fed's fault for tightening too aggressively. No, it's, it's the president's fault for rolling out so many tariffs. I mean, want, you pick your own poison. But I, I, I will say that BSF sure didn't blame the Fed. They blame Trump and China. Again, though, see, it doesn't matter. The important thing for you and me is simply recognizing that the slowdown does exist and then knowing how to react to it. And today, it sure seems real, and we got to learn how to react to it. For the longest time when we got an industrial slowdown in this country, money would instantly rotate out of those industrial companies and into what we call the CPGs, the Consumer Packaged Goods Stocks. These stocks are safe. They're defensive. They're what you're supposed to buy when the economy deteriorates because you still go to the supermarket and buy these things. That's not what happened today. Last night, I told you that PepsiCo would be the key to this market. It was. I said if Pep reported good numbers and its stock rallied, it meant this group would be ready to roar. Mm, But the opposite? Well, let's take a listen. PepsiCo did not disappoint. I like the confirmation of its growth. I like the acceleration of both snacks and soft drinks. The stock jumped a dollar in pre-market trading. But then the company took 16 questions on what I always tell you to listen to before you pull the trigger, the conference call. And it felt like the vast majority were critical, critical in tone, mildly critical, some extremely critical, not as constructive as I would have liked. The analysts picked this thing to pieces. Individually, it's really no big deal that Mountain Dew wasn't perfect or that the company didn't nail its long-term algorithm, which is why Pep merely reaffirmed its forecast rather than raising numbers. Between the lack of a guidance boost and the sour questioning, the stock reversed, ultimately closing off less than a dollar, but it's really kind of nasty. And what happened is, from when you have that kind of reversal, it created a tremendous amount of negative pin action for all of the companies. When you think about the Proctors and you think about the Kimberleys, it's been a red-hot group. Suddenly, we lost our favorite place to hide the BASF highlighted slowdown. Now, as I've told you over and over, money abhors a vacuum. So where did it go then? Simple. It flowed into the stocks of tech companies with fast growth that do not need a strong economy to make the numbers. These tech companies are all about making other businesses more productive, either using the cloud or big data or analytics. They'll do fine in a slow down. Don't let your eyes glaze over. These are the modern day companies that I talk to you about all the time. It's where the money is. Who fits the profile? Let's take it category by category. First, See, the Chinese don't like us. We don't like the North Koreans. The Russians are paying. The West Africa's got issues. Cybersecurity. Endless fount of opportunity. I saw big buying in Fortinet, Palo Alto Networks, and the red-hot Kramer family fave, Okta. To me, it seemed like much of the bulls action here stemmed from the analysts rolling out of positive coverage of CrowdStrike, the newly uh, public cloud-based cybersecurity firm that's loved like few others in this brand-new crop. Second, you've got the beloved Payment processing stories. The cash is trash, digital is king stories. This group's led by Square today, SQ, which finally ignited after biding its time uh, once the fabulous Sarah Fryer left to run next door late last year. Square rocketed higher up four bucks. Analysts recommended the stock. PayPal got in the action, too. It's, it's another one. Wex, W-E-X. No, not Brian Sullivan's exit show in the morning. Uh, something similar. 
WEX, except for it's a stock. I'm going to tell you more about it later, so stay tuned. Last night, I told you people would keep buying Amazon right ahead of this Prime Day, which is actually Prime 2 Day because they have two-day shopping holiday. That's a perfect excuse to spend a lot of money. It's also a great reason to buy the stock for a trade as long as you're ready to flip it to the next round of buyers, the Johnny-come-latelys who want to wait until they see the actual numbers of how Amazon Prime days played out. Then there are semiconductor stocks. Well, they struggle mightily of, of, of late, but they're now getting a boost, perhaps because they're oversold. Maybe we're getting some of that positive chatter I mentioned about the trade war. I, I talk about lame. Again, I'm not too confident in these negotiations, so I just say, go buy Advanced Micro. Go buy AMD. Go buy Lisa Sue. It's got the best chips. Growth managers always seem to buy it. We also saw money flowing into Western Digital, the Micron, analog devices, all basic stuff. Uh, what else worked? How about defense technology and medical technology? L3 Harris, the most technologically oriented of the major defense contractors, roared today. Hey, that's the combination of L3 and Harris that I talked about just last week, as did Edwards Life Sciences, the suddenly beloved medical device maker. Oh, I love them both. Finally, there's one boy. Remember when it was controversial? Facebook. The stock that keeps marching higher no matter what the media reports about their shady activities or congressional hearings or whatever. It doesn't matter, see, because between Facebook and Instagram, people can't bring themselves to quit their platforms. And as long as the users stay, the advertisers stay. Plus, I like what they're doing with Libra. They're kind of sort of cryptocurrency that's allegedly so controversial, mainly because it gives Facebook fintech exposure at a time when everybody loves financial technology. See, so you, you kind of have this playing all the way up here. All right. People love this. They're loving that. Bottom line. When investors start worrying about the global economy and that BASF forecast was incredibly worrisome, one of two things happens. Either money flows into the slow and steady consumer packaged good stocks like a PepsiCo, or it goes into the turbocharged growth stocks that can thrive in a slowdown like this list. Today, smoking hot growth one. Tomorrow, who knows? Brian in North Carolina. Brian! Jim, thanks for taking my call. I was calling you about CVS. CVS is revamping their business model, focusing more on healthcare products inside the store. They also have a pending merger with uh, Aetna, which I think eventually gets approved. What's your take? Buy, sell, or hold? Okay, I, I was in a very nice CVS today in a Target in my uh, hometown of Brooklyn. I think that relationship, by the way, with Target is uh, mutually satisfactory to both. I do think the Target uh, uh, is getting the, I don't want to say they're getting the better of it, but CVS has some rebate work that it's got to take care of. Uh, I think CVS, which is a big position for action alerts, is kind of biding its time, waiting for the judge to be able to rule about whether that's to break it up with Aetna. It's a good situation not a great situation um it, it needs to see it needs to get this court stuff cleared up oh my let's go to jose in texas please jose kramer first time caller here from dallas texas okay and and my questions are regarded to tesla they have some solid q2 delivery and production numbers but two questions still remain can this company turn a profit and does elon musk have it to take keep this company moving in the right direction all right here's my issue with tesla Again, I want to make this very clear. Uh, my daughter was in a Tesla this weekend, and she was so excited about it. She said, Dad, how about Tesla? How great? I mean, people buy the stock because they like the car, and I'm not going to get in their way. But that really is the reason, because it sure ain't the balance sheet. Sometimes the market acts silly. Sure, the largest chemical company on Earth reported an astounding shortfall. But other companies 
from these sectors can pick up the slack. Oh man, tonight, hats off to Red Hat and IBM. The CEOs of both companies join me here tonight after the close of the $34 billion deal and it closed early. Then it's a new group of retailers rising to challenge Amazon. Unreal names and whether you should be buying them right here at least off the charts. And it's an under-the-radar fintech player that could be worth considering. A payment processor, I'll reveal the name. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing. Late last year, IBM announced that it was buying Kramer fave Red Hat, one of our cloud kings. That's an open source software company that's a major player in cloud computing. Now, regular viewers know that I've been a gigantic fan of this transaction, even though Wall Street's been, I'd say, uh, more skeptical. Today, the Red Hat deal closed. It closed early, and it creates a whole new IBM. This morning, we got a chance to sit down with Jenny Rometty, the chair and CEO of IBM, as well as her newest employee, Jim Whitehurst, formerly the CEO of Red Hat, and now a member of IBM's senior management team. Luckily, they were both gracious enough to stick around and answer some more questions. So take a look. Ginny and Jim, first, congratulations. Ginny, I'm going to go right to it. I think a lot of people got used to an IBM that bought back a lot of stock an IBM that raised the dividend, but an IBM that didn't really have the top-line growth that so many investors want. What will Red Hat do for top-line growth? Well, in numbers, what Red Hat does is 200 basis points of growth, five-year cogger. But more importantly, just think of the opportunities of where you can grow now. For one, together we have the leading platform for the hybrid cloud. That means it runs not only on the IBM cloud, not only on-premise and private clouds, it runs on every other public cloud out there. So whether that's Amazon, Microsoft, Google, whoever it is, it now runs on those as well. So that extends our reach into those clouds. Uh, Jim, he's in a certain number of countries, tens of dozens of countries, but not in 175 countries. So we grow by expanding Red Hat that way. Then the other way is we take all of our IBM software and we make it run the best on Red Hat, and wherever that runs, it can run. So there's a chance to expand market for IBM, extend reach for Jim, go on to wherever it runs on every public cloud, and then don't forget we have a services business. And so we've been over the last eight months working with them on journey to cloud for all of our clients to put in the hybrid cloud, and they've got a whole set of suite of offerings that they're rolling out. So it really is a play that helps all of IBM as well as extends what Red Hat's done. And then together, we make it even better. All right, so Jim, let me ask you about the last eight months. There were people who felt 
Red Hat, you've maintained an entrepreneurial culture. You know I've been following you for, I follow you when you're in the airline business. (laughs) Is the entrepreneurial culture of Red Hat able to be maintained within the large confines of a great American company, a worldwide company, of course, that has a storied reputation, but is not necessarily known as entrepreneurial as Red Hat is? Yeah, look, I think this is one of the things that's worked really well over the last eight months is we've gotten to know each other better. And that's simply, I think everyone at IBM that I've worked with understands that Red Hat's a capabilities-based company, and that capability is tied up in our culture. Our ability to go from open source project to project to project and be a leading provider against those is really tied up in the in our culture and our ability to work in those open source communities. So what we talked about, this isn't two cultures coming together. This is two cultures working together to be able to create something unique that we can't before. And so throughout all of our interactions, I think there's a real understanding that the diversity of the two perspectives and cultures and backgrounds actually allows us to do more than we could do otherwise. And I think both sides are very, very sensitive to that. So we both have strong cultures that have helped us both be successful. And we really think those can work together and we can celebrate uh, the benefits of both and how we can best work together going forward. Jenny, Jenny, one of the things that that worries me about the deal, and be candid, is that VMware, a very aggressive company, really tied in with Amazon. Some of the people there have said, look, you know, before you get too excited about the deal, remember, Amazon's really a competitor of IBM. How do you answer the questions which just say that this is a cultural change for IBM, which likes it its way and is now going to be far more collaborative? Yeah, no, this is this is absolutely about being multi-cloud. And you mentioned a VMware. Uh, despite every other thing out there, IBM has done more porting of, of VMware to the cloud than anyone else into the IBM cloud. So there is more running in production on the IBM cloud. And then, but when it comes to Jim's platform, and part of why that unit should stay distinct is we will absolutely provide the best platform running on every other cloud out there because our clients want one platform that transcends all of this. So Jim, that's why we grow as those other clouds grow. We grow as our cloud grows. We grow as clients put in private clouds. I think that is for IBM and our clients the best of all worlds. And so on one hand, they're partners. On the other hand, we'll compete appropriately. But you also remember, I have a big services business. They do multi-cloud work. They have to. Every client's got five to 15 clouds. That's why this isn't winner take all. This will be managing these kinds of environments and there's nobody that does it better than us. Yeah, just to uh, I, emphasize that, Jim, you know, VMware is a big partner of ours. A lot of our software runs on VMware, whether that's Linux or OpenStack. Same with the clouds. So we compete and we partner across all of these. How this creates value is accelerating our clients' businesses, and that creates more value, creates more spend for all of us. And so, you know, when I talk to um, you know Microsoft or Amazon, they're excited about this because they say, hey, if more workloads are running on OpenShift, OpenShift runs on my cloud, that gives me a greater growth opportunity. So this is about you know growing what technology can do for our customers, and that ultimately is good for all of us. And certainly we compete at different uh, areas, but if it's a growing pie, that's ultimately good for all of us. Well, let's leave it at that. I think this is a transformational acquisition. I think those who underrate it don't follow either one of you. I've been fortunate to be able to follow both of you since you came in. This is a new IBM. It is the same red hat grafted onto a new IBM, and I think it's going to be very, very exciting. I want to thank Jenny Rometty, CEO of IBM, Jim Whiters, CEO of, well, former CEO of Red Hat, and now an executive at IBM. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up. 
Can this corporate payments player put some pep in your portfolio? Kramer gets the specs on WEX next. Hey, y'all, it's your girl, Shangela, and I want to invite you to Hallelujah Happy Hour. Every week, honey, I'm shaking up a cocktail, making a playlist, and hanging with friends. Okay, let's spill. You're going to tell that you are messy. Oh, he's so hot. I'm into him. Is he listening to this? And it's going to be what? Sickening. Follow Hallelujah Happy Hour and listen for free on Spotify. If you've watched the latest season of Stranger Things, or if you just lived through the 80s and 90s, you know about the destructive power of the shopping mall. All over the country, mom-and-pop stores were wiped out, replaced by national chains located the mall. Now, for a while, those retail stocks did pretty well. But then along came the Internet. Suddenly, Amazon's putting mall-based stores out of business the same way that those stores crushed the mom-and-pop operators. We know that there are a handful of chains that have really that have to defy Amazon, and they're the ones with stocks that rallied yesterday. I talked to you about that as part of a delayed response to that amazing Friday employment number. And there I'm talking about the likes of Costco, Walmart. Uh, also, let's throw in Target, by the way, Home Depot. Target, because I think that actually represents good value down, down a little bit today. However, there's a new group of more niche players that I think are beginning to give Amazon a run for the mindshare money. I want you to think about Etsy, Lululemon, Pinterest, remember we spent some time after with them, and Stitch Fix, which I'm getting to know. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Tim Collins. He's a brilliant technician. He's my colleague at RealMoney.com. Get a better read on these four names because you're going to hear more and more about them uh, over time because I think they're going to just get bigger and bigger. Let's take them one by one. Let's start with the daily chart of Etsy. That's the online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods. I believe in this Brooklyn-based company because when Amazon went after them with their own handicraft uh, platform, well, guess what? Amazon failed. Etsy didn't skip a beat. As a matter of fact, it got stronger. The stock exploded higher today, up nearly three bucks. The company rolled out free shipping for orders above 35 bucks. But what about the chart? Okay, Collins points out that Etsy's been stuck in a rut for the past four months. You can see that, right? Kind of doing nothing. The thing is, there's a good reason for that. Stock's up more than 40% for the year, thanks to a monster move in the month of February. Collins thinks that Etsy's been trading sideways to digest those gains. And a stock that's been four months consolidating, you've got to think about this consolidation as a coiled spring which is how you get the kind of magnificent rally we had today when really very little news. Now, even after the stock caught fire this morning, Etsy's still stuck in the same pattern. It's called an ascending triangle formation. The floor of support at around 61, that's the hypotenuse. The ceiling of resistance at 70 is the base. We've already, been, uh, already seen several tests of both the floor and the ceiling. And at the moment, Etsy's right smack in the middle after that big three almost $3 run. You know I hate to chase stocks that have run, but when you zoom in on this chart, Collins really likes what he sees, especially in the full stochastic oscillator down at the bottom, all right? That's an important momentum indicator that tells you when a stock is overbought or oversold. When it comes to Etsy, the stochastics just made what we call a bullish crossover, and that's where the black line goes above the red one, and that is a very bullish signal that we have learned time and again 
been a great way to try to predict moves. According to Collins, the last few times this happened, the stock had already rallied about 10% going to the crossover. This time, Etsy's rallied like around 5% going to the cross. That's why it thinks the stock has more upside, although it might take a couple of tries before it can break out above the ceiling at 70. On the other hand, uh, he believes that if Etsy breaks down below 61, he's wrong. It's time to walk away. I think this is a great stock. I'm sure there are people out there who say, wait a second, Jim, head and shoulders. I don't care about head and shoulders. I care about earnings and I care about growth. This one's got it. The next retailer is carving a space for itself in a world dominated by Amazon. Check out one we talked about the other night, Lululemon. Now, what can I say about Lulu? They, they just get it. The stores are well-designed, they're teaming with shoppers, and the online business is booming. And that's how Lulu delivered 14% same-store sales growth when it reported roughly a month ago. Remember, again, that's how, that's the metric big money managers use. And when you get double-digit growth, people sit up and take notice. As far as Collins is concerned, Lulu has one of the strongest charts in the group. The stock's currently testing the ceiling of resistance in a rising wedge pattern. You can see there's that rising wedge pattern. Uh, and Collins thinks it breaks out. Although once that happens, Lula has another ceiling at 190, okay, where it peaked when the stock exploded higher last month. I think he thinks it can be taken out. Basically, Lou's been digesting these gains. That's exactly what we saw with Etsy. Kind of just sitting there before the coiled spring, which is what we want to see. Meanwhile, the full stochastic just gave us that bullish crossover that we're looking for. We saw that last time. Collins points out that this has consistently been a winner for the stock. And when it wins, it tends to win really big. Lou is at 186. Collins thinks it can pull vault over two. However, if Lulu pulls back below its floor of support at around 175 to 180, he thinks maybe you should throw in the towel as this chart could quickly morph into a bearish head and shoulders pattern. Remember, I showed you that for for Etsy. Again, what people are worried about would be that. Me? I think Lululemon has an unbelievable business model, is very charmed, and I think it's, I don't want to say early innings, but I think it's got more to run. All right, now what about Pinterest, which we spent a lot of time with when we were in San Francisco recently? All right, this isn't really a retailer. It's an online vision board slash social network, but it definitely has the potential to compete with Amazon. Why? Because Pinterest is where people go when they're looking for something to buy. And once they monetize their platform, they may be able to muscle in on Amazon's turf. There's a lot of runway here. That said, Constance Pinterest has the worst chart of the ones that we're featuring. Remember, this thing only came public in April. In the wake of the deal, the stock surged higher and then gave up its gains. This is a critical moment. Remember, it spiked. That's when we were out there. It spiked up, and somebody seemed to think that they were going to do a sandbag, so to speak, that they were under-promising. What they had said over and over again was that they were going to be very transparent, and yet it came back to haunt them. They didn't have any games they were playing. In recent weeks, the stock, the trading range has gotten tighter and tighter. Now, Pinterest has a ceiling resistance at 2850 uh, and a floor at 2550 One way or another, the stock's going to break out. Was it going to go up or down? Collins points out that the full stochastics is the one thing it's got going for it, the familiar bullish crossover earlier this week. The last time that that happened in the beginning of June, the only time, uh, in fact, Pinterest gave you a quick 18% pop. Unfortunately, the stock's much closer to the ceiling this time around. But if Pinterest can climb above 2850, Collins believes it'll be smooth sailing to to the 30s. What if the stock gets hit and falls below 2550? Well, in that case, it might sink to 2350. But get this, it bottomed there in May. Colin says he'd be a buyer if that happens. So in other words, he's not cutting and running. Okay, that's important. Finally, there's the chart of a company that I've become fascinated by. It's called Stitch Fix. This is a subscription service that's a lot like having a web-based personal shopper to buy you new clothes every month. While Stitch Fix has an intriguing business model, owning this one has been a tough run. 
tough ride. Really. The stock got obliterated late last year, and then after kicking off 2019 with a nice rebound, the darn thing got hammered then from uh, late March through May. I mean, look at this. Pain, pain, pain. But then, a little over a month ago, Stitchfix reported a blowout quarter, and the stock rocketed from 23 to 27 in a single session. A lot of shorts had to cover. It's kept running for the next couple of weeks before leveling off. Now, this is what's known as a bullish flag pattern where a stock shoots up practically in a straight line, then trades sideways in a narrow channel. And a flag pattern is a, conti- is a continuation. It implies that the stock will resume the earlier move, which in this case would be up. Even though Stitchfix got slammed today, Collins notes that there's a strong floor support here at $29. If the stock can rally above its ceiling of resistance at 32, he thinks it can easily push to the 38 to 40 level. And that's why Collins recommends buying it right here. Although, bear in mind, please, the Citrix could uh, keep bouncing around this flag pattern for another few weeks. He's just buying half your position now and then putting on the other half after a breakout above $32. I get where he's coming from. I like this business model. I like the management. Bottom line, in a retail environment dominated by a handful of players that we all know, Amazon, a Costco, a Target, a Walmart, a Home Depot, there are smaller operators that we have found ways to like and win with. Etsy, Lululemon. Pinterest, and Stitch Fix. The charge is interpreted by Tim Collins. It's just that all four could have more room to run. Let's go to Jack in New Jersey. Jack. What's up, Kramer? How you doing, buddy? I am doing all right. How about you, partner? Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, Kramer, on July 15th, next week, Alibaba decides to split eight for one and is set to have 70% revenue growth next year. Now that the trade war, it war is winding down, and with China still growing at 6.5%, and with Chinese stocks trading at their lowest price-to-book ratio compared to the S&P 500 in 20 years, is it time to buy the Baba? Well, I, would, I liked a lot of your thesis, but I do not know if it's the trade war is really winding down. Uh, it's fickle. Today we heard that uh, Mnuchin, Lighthizer might be talking with a vice. I'm talking with a vice. Let's uh, not that important person in China, but maybe important. I don't like the amorphous nature of these talks, so I'm going to back away and say that even though I like the idea of a split, what's far more important is they got great revenue growth. I got other stocks I like more. I want to go to Ken in Indiana. Ken. Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. Uh, my question is regarding Ulta Beauty. Mm-hmm. Since you since you obviously use their hair products, do you think Ulta Beauty is a buy, sell, or hold since Amazon has gotten into the beauty product business? I am not concerned that Amazon has been in there competing with them all along. I think Amazon should be more concerned than Ulta. Why? Because Mary Dillon runs a tight ship, still putting up stores, and the best loyalty program in the world. So look out, Amazon. Ulta is the real deal. Harry in Colorado. Harry. Jimmy, booyah from the White Peak Mountains of Colorado. Wondering about your uh, take on Chewy, the management, and whether I should back up the truck or lighten up the Well, we the can't back up this truck, truck Chewy, because it's too expensive. I was very impressed by, Mar- by management when we met. Very impressed. I think they're doing a lot of things right. Someone the other day said, but how do we know Amazon can't beat them? Well, because the guy's from Amazon, for heaven's sake. I actually, once I asked pet owners, what do they use? Do you know I haven't found a soul that doesn't use Chewy? Including us. Retail is back. Etsy, Lululemon, Pinterest, and Stitch Fix have found ways to win. And the chart suggests they can go higher. Much more mad money at It's a company that works with the likes of Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Bank of America. And you probably never even heard of it. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO. Then, 
On what would have been Pop's 97th birthday, I'm reflecting on some of the things he taught me about business. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Listen up, brand new company. You always want to know what's in style on the Wall Street Fashion Show, right? And right now, as I said at the top of the program, it's FinTech short for financial technology. At a time when investors are wary of owning the actual financials, the banks, who can blame them? You see money gravitate toward fintech, especially the companies that handle payments. Companies like Wex, W-E-X, sort of a, say, maybe a small version of Fleet Corps, although they're different. We talked about that one last month. Wex handles corporate payments. They've got a big fuel card business. They've expanded uh, into travel, accounts payable, and healthcare. Now, that may not sound too exciting to some, but you know what? I care about exciting. This thing has rallied 50% year-to-date, and it set a new all-time high just last week. So could this under-the-radar payments name give you more upside? Let's take a closer look with Melissa Smith. She's the president and CEO of Wex, Inc. To learn more about our company, and its prospects. Ms. Smith, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. Have a seat. Thank you. Okay. All right. So tell me something. Listen, the first thing people are going to say is, all right, what the heck does Wex really do to save my business money mm-hmm. and why do I need them? Yeah. Why do you, well, you know, we work in the background. You talk about us being a fintech company. Yes. Uh, let me give you examples of what we do. And, um, and so if you think of uh, a company like Expedia, okay. where we go into the background, they've got all these payments they have to make to hotels around the world. Right. They're getting payments in advance by consumers. What we do is make a connection to that individual consumer payment and make a payment on behalf of Expedia to the hotels around the world. And so for someone like them or other online travel agencies, it allows them to focus on scaling their business and not have to worry about this idea of, I have many, many different payments to make. And if that consumer ultimately wants to buy a movie or do something that's ahead of what they paid for, we can block that. Okay, so it's interesting, you know, because I own a piece of it and I did not know that. I, we use Expedia. Mm-hmm. I just figured the check was from Expedia. I mean, you are behind the scenes, yes. but you certainly make it work because it's the way we do business now. That's right. You know, 10 years ago, we didn't. This is all we do now. Yeah. So I get that. Now, you just announced something very, uh, very big deal with a gasoline company. And it, it seems like that you've got some exposure to fuel, mm-hmm. but it's a good business. Yeah. So on the fuel card side of the business, we just right. talked about uh, the fact that we've developed a product called Driver Dash. Right. So Driver Dash. So mm-hmm. Driver Dash is used, uh, it's a mobile payment device, and so people use their mobile phones. They have our app loaded on that, right. Driver Dash. And it uses facial recognition in order to allow someone into the app. Then it turns on the pump. And so if you picture yourself, you're driving in, you're driving your Ford F-250, you're sitting right. next to the pump. It turns the pump on remotely, so it's very secure. And, and then as you fill up your vehicle the information gets transmitted back to us. And so we're collecting data around that transaction. Okay, so when I first heard it, my first reaction was like, oh, big deal. Why don't I just get out and pump? What's the problem? But actually, in terms of productivity and money saved, when you go to the pump as much as your customers does, it's a considerable savings. It's a savings not just in terms of time, but also in the ability to make sure we're collecting data in the right way that allows the product to work better and making sure that it's more secure because it gets turned on at the point that the person hits that, that pump and then off as they turn off that transaction. So it eliminates this concept of, of white plastic fraud. Okay. All right. Now, that's something our, our, our viewers will definitely understand. Now, um, you're a strong player in what are virtual cards, which you say will displace checks and B2B payments. But the first thing I thought of was like, okay, I, I, that sounds great, but what's a virtual card? 
virtual means card not present. No, no plastic. Okay. Uh, now we started virtual cards many years ago, and the, and the idea behind that was being able to make a payment. Typically, it's it's an online payment, mm -hmm. and doing it using an account number, but without any physical plastic. And so, the, and you think about this concept of high integration, very seamless. You can facilitate a payment without having a card present, and you can do this in a huge transaction volume. So if you think of it, we have $76 billion worth of volume running through our company. You can right. do some of that with virtual cards. Well, I mean, now when I see the companies that you do business, I mean, American Express, I mean, my first thing there, so there I thought, I'm not playing devil's out, I'm just trying to learn. Because <laughs> yes. I want our people to own your stock, because you know how much I love payments processing. Mm -hmm. I said, well, why does American Express have to deal with Little Wax? But it's not Little Wax, right? And they, you help them immensely. Yeah, so... Someone like American Express come to us because of the technology that we provide. You know, you started with the, this concept of being a fintech provider. Right. You know, it's around for us. We want to make sure that we're providing technology, integrating it through APIs to businesses, to partners, right. to financial institutions, to individually to companies. So, you know, a whole host of different type of customer set. American Express would be using the technology is a piece of their technology stack as they go out into the marketplace. Okay, and for health benefits, this is not business-to-consumer be our business plan mm -hmm. that you would help be, be better at doing what it's doing? So if you have an HSA account or a flexible spending okay. account, we're often the technology that sits in the background to that. So when you are making a payment, we're making sure that you're paying for things that are appropriate so that they're health-related, uh, health but also allow them to be made on a tax-deferred basis. Okay. And we're accumulating data around your purchases so that we can help advise employers around how much money should you fund into someone's HSA account. Okay. How, much, um, how much should you as a consumer be directing into that account? So you're making everybody smarter. Yeah. You know, a lot of what we do is that the, the data that sits in the background is where the, you know, talking about that being the wow. You know, right, the, right. All of what we do is integrated, and that's important because it allows companies to do what they want to do. I mean, sometimes grow, sometimes save money. But at the end of the day, where we can pull data into the equation and we can show it to customers in a visual way, that's where the wow comes in. You have a bank license. I'm sure some people say, well, listen, I don't want any banking whatsoever. But it's not the kind of risky bank license that we're used to, right? So we own an industrial uh, bank license. It's okay. a bank in, in Utah. And we use that to issue the, any of the card products that we have in the United okay. States. That makes Very sense. Very special purpose. And then the last thing is if oil goes up or down, do I have to worry about Wex's earnings? So uh, we have exposure to oil, I'd say less. So if you look at the last uh, several years in the company's history, we've diversified the business. So we have less and less exposure to fuel. But uh, as fuel prices go up, we do have some benefit of that. And if fuel prices go down, we do have some negative to that. But hopefully the analysts who follow you understand that. So this is kind of like when Costco has that issue, we really kind of build it in and don't think about it. We're very transparent. We talk about what the impact is. We make sure even we give guidance. We talk about what we're assuming around fuel prices. And as I said before, the biggest thing for us is we've diversified the business. You know, when we first went public, almost 70% of our revenue was exposed to fuel prices. Now it's in the 20s. Well, excellent. You've done a fantastic job in five years. Happy anniversary. And have worked the company for a very long time and done a great job. That's Melissa Smith. She's the CEO of Wex. What a great stock. And now I hope you understand the company. They are very transparent. Lots of good documents and lots of good press releases on this new deal. If you want to understand how things are working, they have money spec in It is time! 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate? That is over the lightning round. Let's start with Brian in California. Brian. This is my first time caller, Booyah. Booyah. My question is, is a warm cannabis a good start to get into at this time, or is it too overvalued? Aurora? I have to tell you that I'm struggling here with my canopy. I'm not going to go down the food chain. We're going to have to say no way. Not at this time. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris. Booyah, Jim. Uh, I had a question about Neo. I recently bought some and wanted to hear if you think there's room for it to run. You know what? Look, the the thing is so beaten up. Anything can bounce. Uh, But I have to tell you, I mean, Chinese auto in a market where BASF tells me that Chinese auto is doing badly. You know, you get the bounce, but you got to run. I need to go to Randy in California. Randy. Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Randy from Big Sur, California. Okay. I want to give you a big old Big Sur booyah. You have a lot of followers and friends along the 70-mile coast here. Ah, uh, you're very kind. I sure, you know, look, I'm working, I'm working hard well, to keep, they, keep their trust. Thank you. A few of my friends have, you know, made some real money. They're lower, they're upper, lower class, or lower middle class, and a lot more of them made a lot more money if they would have listened to me. Anyway, Jim, uh, Mr. Kramer, yeah, um, 20% of my portfolio is in Ford. Uh, that's uh, a lot to have in Ford. In. Uh, that's a lot. I, I don't want to put any more in that. I do like, by the way, they're doing everything. They're doing everything they can. They're getting out of all the stuff we don't want. They're cutting costs. They're doing, it's just a real hard market. I need to go to Joe in Missouri. Joe! Booyah, Jim. Let's go Blues. Okay. Stock is uh, Brookfield Renewable, ticker BEP. Yeah, you know, I do like hydro. I, 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 I'm going to say it's okay. It's not, you know, it's part of this 5%er that I'm trying to figure out whether I feel okay about or not, but I think you're in good shape. Let's go to Carl in Maryland. Carl! Booyah! Booyah. Carl from Odington, Maryland. All right. Bank of America. Bank of America is incredibly cheap. The bank stocks finally look like they've caught a bid. I am certainly not going to be anyone who tells you anything other than to own Bank of America. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Happy birthday, Pop. Yeah, today my dad would have turned 97. We would have had a grand old time going to Geno's, the fabulous steak sandwich shop on 9th and Pass Junk in Philadelphia, putting on way too much hot sauce as we sat in the fabled inner sanctum of the best restaurant on earth. Our pop passed away five years ago, but as he got older, he loved going to Geno's because they let us eat inside. That is a rare privilege, instead of outside in the stifling heat. Oh, pop was a fixture on the show in the early years. Over time, it got tougher for him to come on. But he remained a faithful watcher. I would always look at my cell phone on the way home from work and would go off like clockwork at 7 p.m. It would be Pop saying, Jamesy, that was the best show ever. I took it for granted. You know, I got so used to his calls that sometimes I'd say, oh, here it comes and roll my eyes to myself. In retrospect, that was a high quality problem. But I don't bring this up to reminisce about Pop who lived a long life and had a fabulous run. No, tonight for Pop's birthday, I want to pass on some of the things he taught me about business, or as many of them as we can fit between now and the commercial break. 
Popple found that funny. First, he said, be honest. Now, Popple must always follow this up by telling me that the business people who were dishonest tended to do pretty well, at least until they got caught. But it didn't matter because honesty was indeed the best policy. He liked that idea, even though he was often angry that the cheaters made out like bandits. And there are a lot of cheaters out there. He never had any illusions about that. He talked to me about the value of hard work. But again, Pop was a realist. He made it clear that sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you work because things go wrong all the time. Let me give you two incredibly relevant examples from Pop's life because this is an important lesson. Pop was what's known as a jobber. It's a middleman who represented paper mills to customers that were too small to deal with the mills directly. He had a thriving business at one point, working for these small stores, little mom-and-pop outfits. One by one, though, these stores were wiped out by Walmart, which could offer the same merchandise for a much lower price. Pop kept stacks of invoices for customers who had gone under in his career. He'd go on and on about how Walmart was unbeatable, and there was nothing he could do about it because they offered a good product at a Great price. Sound familiar? Today's Amazon. Hey, right? They're doing the exact same thing. Next example. Many years later, the paper mills themselves went under, one by one. Why? Because the Chinese government targeted the gift-wrapped industry that my father worked in. They subsidized gift wrap. So suddenly their mills could make paper cheaper than ours could. And that was that. It was stunning. These paper mills were the real bosses in Pop's life. But one after another, they were crushed by China. And that's how I know that the Communist Party plays to win. And for decades, our government just let them get away with it in the name of unfettered free trade. That was a mistake. Now, ultimately, my father took a can't beat him, join him approach. He ended up repping a Chinese mill. And he loved doing business with them. He started selling doggy bags to restaurants because he figured out that Walmart couldn't crush him. He also sold paper bags to these restaurants because he knew one day the plastic would become a big loser. Visionary. Okay, I could go on and on about Pop. War hero. Fabulous grandfather. Great Eagles fan. But for today, I just wanted to let you know that the more things change, Walmart and now Amazon destroying the little guy, the Chinese destroying our factories with subsidized goods, the more things stay the same. So happy birthday, Pop. I'll be waiting for your call at 7 p.m. tonight. I won't get it, but I'll remember it sweetly nonetheless. Stay with Kramer. Okay, the analysts may not have been crazy about Pepsi, P-E-P, but I'll tell you this, that 4.5% growth rate is going to prove to be better than a lot of other companies in its segment. So you wait a few days, let it come down, and then you can buy it because it is still the highest quality consumer packaged goods story there is. And I am not wavering. Those numbers were fine. Don't let the stock tell you what to do. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Some bonds last a lifetime. Some bonds inspire confidence. And some you grow to rely on. These are the bonds worth investing in. For nearly 50 years, PIMCO has reinvented fixed income to create opportunities for investors in every market environment. So no matter what happens, you can build the bonds that mean the most to you. PIMCO, a global leader in active fixed income. Learn more at PIMCO.com bonds. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Consult your investment professional before investing.